My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Have you ever taken naked sexy selfies or daydreamed about starring in a professional sexy photo shoot? Today we're going to respond to a girl boner listener whose desire to have a sensual photo shoot is causing a rift in her relationship, seemingly not because of the photos or nakedness themselves. I'll also share thoughts on one of the coolest vibrators around thanks to the pleasure chest and explore the lives of adult film stars with a legendary erotic photographer. For more Girl Boner fun, be sure to sign up for my mailing list at augustmclaughlin.com, M-C-L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, augustmclaughlin.com. I send updates about once a month, which often includes free gifts. My last one actually includes a promo code for a free erotic film of your choice from the incomparable Erica Lust. Email subscribers also get a sneak peek at upcoming Girl Boner goodies, including my forthcoming book. So I hope you will join my tribe there. Today, I'm so thrilled thrilled to welcome superstar photographer Holly Randall back to the show to talk about sensual photo shoots, her new podcast called Holly Randall Unfiltered, which shatters illusions about people who work in the sex industry, and more. So thanks for being here, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. So your mother is a very renowned photographer, a kind of a pioneer in erotic photography. And I loved your interview with both of your parents, who are both really fascinating, on your podcast. And you talked about how they taught you to always question authority, which is yep. unusual. I wonder what else was unconventional about your childhood. Oh, gee, I don't know. <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah, you know, my parents are very much about, you know, thinking for yourself and um, making your own decisions and not letting people bully you into doing what you don't want to do. Um, my mom was always like big on the anti-bully thing. She would always tell me, you know, when I was in school not to, you know, to always like step up for other kids if I saw them being bullied and, you know, kind of stand up for the for the weak, I guess, or the unpopular. Um, and we kind of take that idea into our, our work, you know, where we, you know, believe that people should always you know, do what makes them feel comfortable and not be bullied into, you know, doing a scene they don't want to do or doing a shoot that they don't want to do. So, you know, we're always very, it's very important to us that, you know, girl, women feel empowered and that they feel safe and that they feel good about the kinds of stuff that they're shooting with us. Which is really important in an industry that still is fairly taboo. Yes. So knowing that they can make that empowered choice and not be judged for it either. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that, you know, things have definitely been changing. And I think that, you know, women are becoming more sexually liberated. And there is, you know, the trend is definitely going that way. There's been a lot more talk in the media about, you know, female sexual empowerment and that kind of thing. And I think those are all, you know, really positive things. But, you know, I, I feel like we're still a long ways off. There's still a lot of slut shaming going on. And there's still a lot of, um, you know, sexism and, you know, 
male patriarchy and all that kind of thing. But, you know, we just we keep talking about it and we keep, you know, doing what we're doing. And, you know, eventually I think things are going to balance themselves out. That's just the, you know, progression of, of social change. How do you deal with any sort of slut shaming or kind of the trolls online who like to make comments about... You know, honestly, it's kind of surprising. I don't get that much of it. Um, A lot of my fans are really um, supportive, um, very positive. I get mostly positive feedback. I almost very rarely get um, trolls, though. If I do get them, it's usually if I'm doing like a live feed, like a live Instagram or um, a Periscope thing. Um, I, I often get guys saying, show your tits, show your tits, which whatever. I mean, that's like I kind of joke around that, you know, I take that as a compliment because one day people won't want me to show them my tits. So, you know, I don't really get too upset about that. But I was doing an Instagram live thing yesterday and somebody did start commenting about how um, it was funny that, you know, such an ugly girl took pictures of such beautiful women and then I looked home. Oh, my God. Which I don't necessarily think was untrue at the time because I, I I blew up my knee yesterday. So I was like sitting in my pajamas with my foot elevated and I didn't exactly do my hair and have makeup on. But I could tell that this person was just literally trying to get my attention. So I just blocked them. It wasn't about you. Really. No, it's not. And that's the thing that and that's what I take into consideration when I do get that kind of negative feedback and I do get that those trolls is that it's so much what they say to me is so much more about them than it is about me. It's almost never about the person you're attacking. It's about yourself and how you feel about yourself and your own hangups about sexuality. So I always try to view that kind of person with compassion in a way and almost flip the script and think like, God, you know, that person's got to be a pretty angry person or just be like a sad individual to spend time going on the internet trying to bring other people down. So... You know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. When we think of them as people, too, it's easier mm-hmm. to have compassion and go, yeah. it really sucks to have to feel that way, to have that, all that anger. Yes. And to bash people. That's yes. awful. Yeah. That's awful. I read that nine out of 10 millennial women have taken naked photos of themselves. And I feel like it's a, I think that's a really natural desire you yeah. know, to express ourselves that, in that way. And the accessibility of photography has changed so much. And you talk right. in your uh, podcast, when you were speaking with your mother, she taught you a lot about ways to take photos in a very artistic way where you didn't have to do a lot of work afterwards to like correct things. Mm-hmm. What is, as a professional photographer and as an artist, how do you feel about this accessibility of photography, like the pros and maybe the challenges as an artist? Um, do you mean like about how everybody now has access to a camera and everybody yeah I mean there's definitely some frustrating aspects of it because especially because I learned on film and I learned before the days of Photoshop so I learned how to try to make things perfect in camera because we didn't now have all those ticks you know those tips and tricks like Facetune and Instagram and Photoshop really um, and and now because people have that you know there's a lot more sloppiness that I see in photography because people just figure that you know they'll they'll fix it later and um, you know technology the cameras have become so more accessible because now they're on your phone and so now everybody's taking pictures and on one hand it's like 
it's great because it's allowed people who couldn't, you know, before maybe afford a camera or photography classes to indulge in, in something that they may be naturally good at. But then as a photographer, you know, it's it's still kind of frustrating too because, for example, um, there was a recent, I believe it was Time Magazine, that just did a whole sequence of covers about, like, powerful women um, shot by a woman who shoots everything on her iPhone. So all these Time Magazine covers were shot on an iPhone. <laughs> I was just like, part of me just died because I was like, Aww. are you kidding me? You wow. know what I mean? Because yeah. you think about all the money that you spend on equipment and cameras and all that kind of stuff. And here's this girl that just shoots with natural light and an iPhone and she's shooting like Oprah Winfrey and like Hillary Clinton. And, and but you know what though? In the end, it's, it's not about the equipment and it's not about, you know, how much money you can spend on a lens. It really is about your eyes. So, you know, and, and technology is changing everything and, you know, you can either either accept that and and try to change your style to go with that or you can sit there and complain and bitch and have no work you know what I mean yeah totally so I'm just I try to accept and go okay well then you know what that's where it's going and so I gotta up my game or I gotta do other things maybe as well you know I mean it seems like these days you have to have five million jobs right just to survive completely people expect that for you oh yeah you know like I have a book coming out next year and what was so important the proposal was like they want to know about your platform and all the different ways you do things yes (laughs) you know it's not just about your writing you have to have um, speaking gigs you need to have a show like all these different things so Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting and I've noticed there still is a lot of artistry even with like on Instagram you know people are using filters all this stuff Mm -hmm. and even so I do not have the artistry <laughs> that's required to make these, like, there, there are Instagram accounts that are just, like, mesmerizing. And I right. have friends who can take photos with the same camera in the same place. And it's completely different. Yeah. So do you see that kind of artistry regardless of the technology? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, in the end, if you're creating a captivating image, you're creating a captivating image. The way that you go about it is not necessarily that important. If you're kind of a shitty photographer, but you're an incredible Photoshop artist and you can take this image and you can make it into something else, that's, you know, art in itself. And, you know, uh, sometimes photographers are kind of, um, you know, we're cranky, old-fashioned kind of people, you know, and we might get angry because maybe we don't have those Photoshop skills, but, you know, we've honed our photography skills. But, you know, that's just, I mean, that's just the way it is. You can't stop progress. Yeah, and this is a different, totally different skill set. It is a different skill set. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's something to be said for people who can create images and not do any Photoshop. And, and there's even a niche for that. And sometimes, you know, you know, like the whole, for example, there's the whole um, uh, hashtag, like hashtag no filter. Yes. You know what I mean? To yes. prove that, like, this image doesn't have a filter. It is what it is on its own. So people appreciate that art in it of itself as well. Yes. So, you know, there's different ways to appreciate art. And in the end, it's all art. So we should just, um, we should appreciate all of it. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen the no filter used as well as a way for people to say, I can look like a normal person. Yes. I don't need to have perfect, quote, quote, perfect skin. Or yeah. I don't need to have the special lighting. Yeah. And I wonder how the the digital technology and all this Photoshopping, I was in the fashion industry way before I was in it when the digital shift was happening. So mm-hmm. I was involved in shoots with film. Right. And then it was 
trippy to see photos yeah. immediately. Yes. Right? But then also now it's much I remember the first time I saw a photo where like somebody's scar was not there in the photo. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like they used to there are still magazines that sometimes don't do airbrushing and stuff like that. But do you feel like that puts a certain kind of pressure on the performers and the artists and the models to like look perfect? Oh, absolutely. And I believe that there's been studies that have showed, you know, depression is linked to social media because, you know, we go on people's Instagram accounts and, you know, we look at these people portraying this perfect life in this perfect world. And and, and with media, obviously, I know you're talking more about the Photoshop thing. And, and yes, I think that that's a problem. And but also, too, what's been nice about social media and the accessibility to information is that you see like those articles that come out that show the before and the afters of the Photoshop, you know, like leaked before pictures of celebrities yeah. before they were. And then you see, oh, wow, that girl doesn't have a 22 inch waist, you know, and she doesn't have flawless skin. She actually does have, you know, these these imperfections and moles. Or exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I think the problem. Problem is, is that we do set unrealistic expectations for ourselves, and I'm yeah. definitely a part of that. And it's kind of funny because you would think that I, of all people, should know <laughs> that people aren't perfect. Because you know, I have girls walk into my studio that look nothing like the finished product when yeah. I'm done. Yeah. But there's still a part of me, you know, like that lizard brain part of me that looks at this finished image of a girl and thinks. I should look like that. Why don't I look like that? Why aren't I that skinny? Why doesn't my skin look that perfect? Knowing that they probably don't look like that because I'm a part of the whole process of creating that fantasy. Yeah. But it's still like it's hard to reconcile that with myself at the same time. So it's a struggle for me too. That's refreshing actually to hear because I think we can also beat ourselves up for that. Yeah, <laughs> Like feeling I'm, I care too much that I don't yes. look that way. And right. to know that, you know what, there is something just human about that mm-hmm. and just knowing it. You can go, okay, that's there, and then distract yourself and move on to something else. So I have a question from a listener I'd love to hear your thoughts on as well for our resident expert, Dr. Megan Fleming, who's out in New York City at greatlifegreatsex.com. And it relates to a sexy photo shoot. It's from a listener named M who wrote this. I want to have sexy nude photos taken, but my boyfriend feels weird about it because the photographer is a friend of mine and a straight guy. He doesn't seem to get that I wouldn't be comfortable with just anyone taking my photo while I'm naked. My friend is a very skilled photographer and nothing romantic has ever happened between us, nor do I wish it to, nor does he to my knowledge. How can I help him see that this is actually fine? Such a great question, M. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Um, great question. Um, first of all, I think it's fantastic that you sort of want to celebrate and um, your sexy body and have nude boudoir photos taken. Um, I think so often women of all shapes and sizes um, sometimes are challenged, right, to really embrace and love uh, their shape, their curves, and really sort of sort of documenting this this place and time and the way that your body looks. And so, uh, you know, I guess there's a part of me thinks it's sexy and doesn't your boyfriend ultimately want to see these pictures? Um, and I imagine, of course, he does. But his potential insecurity, right, is coming from the fact that, uh, you know, the photographer is your friend. And, you know, I think in some ways this does come down to a, sort of around an issue of trust that, you know, as a photographer, you know, this just sounds like it's not just your a hobby, right? This is your friend's profession. And so, uh, and I'm not sure whether or not he uh, typically is part of his portfolio repertoire does, uh, boudoir photos. And if so, maybe showing those to your boyfriend to realize, like, this is just 
what he does. This is his living, and it's all about sort of integrity and creating a trust and a feeling of safety, uh, especially when you're working with new photos. Um, because I think your point is really uh, critical that you know, to get the best photos, you want to be comfortable and relaxed um, because that's going to show up on the camera, like in your facial expressions and how you hold your body. And so I think you're finding a photographer that helps you be your best, feel your prettiest, bring out sort of the sexy in you. You know, it's 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 sort of a, um, a relationship, but it's not a sexual relationship. It's just how to bring forth the best of you on camera. Um, so I would hope that if you explain all this to your boyfriend, he would understand that, listen, you are in no way interested in this friend. It sounds like you've been a friend with this guy long before the two of you started dating and you've never hooked up. It's never been an interest or choice of you. Again, reviewing the whole piece around um, the fact that he's a professional and integrity and it's his job. And as you said, it's the relaxation factor. I mean, I think ultimately that's what's going to help you get the most beautiful pictures. Um, so, you know, I think it's a conversation to revisit and to sort of explore, you know, what what does he imagine, best case, worst case, you know, what's most likely to happen? Uh, because again, when and if he's in any way feeling insecure about some aspect of your relationship, then, you know, I think that's legitimate. Like, how do we talk about that and how do you help him uh, potentially feel more secure so that he recognizes uh, that, you know, in this context, being filmed or photoed nude or, um you know, even going out to a bar or, you know, in any setting that there's no reason for him to be feeling insecure because you're committed, right? You're committed to him and this relationship. Um, so, you know, I think as always, it's a conversation that uh, will help you both get clarity and I hope you get these amazing, sexy new pictures. And as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say about, you know, you are going to feel more comfortable with somebody that you know for sure. And it's interesting, uh, M's boyfriend kind of brings up the stereotype that if you work in some sort of sex industry, anything involving the naked body, that they're like predatorial or really like just super horny, you know, when in fact it's artistry. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who you work with, obviously. Very much so. Because <laughs> yes. there's definitely still predatory photographers out there. But I think that if somebody is a professional and if they've been doing it for a while um, and their work probably speaks of their level of professionalism, because the thing is, is that if you are a predatory type photographer and you are a creepy guy, you're not going to get very far because the modeling industry is a small one, especially the adult modeling industry and girls talk. And so, you know, if, if you're creepy with one girl, she's going to tell the next girl. And it's kind of going to get around. You're going to get that reputation. Girls aren't going to work with you. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the ways to make sure you're working with a good photographer would be to, you know, do your due diligence. Absolutely. This sounds like it's a friend. But regardless, you know, if it's anybody out there who wants to do this, research the person's. They should obviously have a, a portfolio online and right. and have everything very, very professional. You could even ask for... Uh, referrals. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I've had, I've offered referrals to girls before. If I'm approaching somebody and they don't know me, um, you know, I don't pull that whole like, well, I'm Holly Randall. You should know who I am and you should be honored to shoot with me. You know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I always say to them, hey, if you want me to give you referrals, you can totally, actually, I mean, I don't even have to name girls specifically because obviously it's easy to pick and choose people that are going to say nice things about you. You know, I just say, look, you can go contact anybody I've shot and ask them what their experience was. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty confident you're going to get 
a positive response because, you know, I try to treat all of my models with respect and make sure that they have a good experience. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely do your due diligence. And if you want to ask for referrals, don't feel bad about asking for referrals because if the photographer is, you know, of the honest ilk, they're going to be happy to give you referrals because they're going to know that the referrals are going to come back in a positive way and and that it'll make them look good. Yeah. And transparency is such a great sign that if they're willing to share and talk about their work, whether they want to, if you want to meet them in person first to sit down and chat, that's fine. Like there's so many things you can do. And again, as you said, don't feel that you don't have permission or that you're a bother yeah. by asking these questions. Those yeah. are those are really good things. Yeah, I mean, I love tra- I love transparency before a shoot. I mean, I would much rather that the model get the questions out of the way before the shoot so that she's not nervous when she's on set. She's confident. She knows exactly what she's talking about. I mean, sorry, what we're shooting. And actually, one of the things that I teach in my workshops, because I teach workshops, is I, I tell my students, you know, about transparency and about a communication, it's so important because nobody wants to have that awkward conversation on set or like when she's naked about what's expected of her or what you thought she would be okay doing, but she's not okay doing that. That's just like so uncomfortable for oh, everyone. Oh, so yeah. I really try to like tick all the boxes before we shoot. Cause also too, you don't want a situation where a girl gets to set and then like she doesn't want to shoot because you needed her to do something. I mean, case in point, I did a shoot for Playboy months ago, like six months ago. And this was um, before, like, the, there's been, like, a new guard that's taken over there. And they had a casting department before. They no longer do. And so they would just send me girls who went through their casting department, right? And so the casting department is supposed to tell the girls, you know, everything that we're doing, the level of nudity that's required, et cetera, et cetera. So the girls come up to set and I pretty much expect that they know that they're going to be shooting nude because it's Playboy. Um, I had this girl, she flew in from San Francisco. She was in the makeup chair and I start talking to her about, you know, what we're going to be shooting and, um, you know, the level of explicitness that she's comfortable with, not like nudity specifically, because obviously you're going to be nude. And and she was like, wait, I'm going to be nude. She, for, I don't know how, <laughs> she for some reason thought that she wasn't going to be totally naked in the shoot. Oh, wow. Which was blew my mind because I was like, this is Playboy. What did you think we were shooting? And for some reason, I don't know, there was some miscommunication with the casting director or something like that. Uh. And she didn't think that she was, so she didn't want to do it. Obviously, I'm not going to make her. Right. So she left. <gasps> Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Communication, consent, all the things we bring into the bedroom. Need yeah. To be present at us and I just wanted shoot. to keep yeah. myself because it's like, oh, God, I should. Because normally I do like, but I don't because normally I expect that the girl knows she's at least shooting naked. And I, I just didn't clarify that with her because I've literally never had this experience before. And she's supposed to learn that in the with by the casting director but then you know it was just another example I'm like you know what never assume just just never assume and be like overly you know just overly clarify everything even if it seems stupid because I mean it was a waste of a shit yeah it's better to just say too much and give people too much information that's not a bad thing yes exactly yeah so what do you look for in a model you said that if you approach somebody 
is, are there particular things you look for or is it just an energy, a vibe, something that speaks to you? Um, I mean, sometimes it depends on the client. Like, for example, Playboy recently is, is has these new rules where they want all natural girls. They don't want anyone with enhancements. Um, they want little to no tattoos, which is really hard to find these days because everyone has tattoos. Um, and they want this kind of like fashion model type look. So if I'm looking for someone for Playboy, I look for, for these things. Um, otherwise, obviously, a pretty face is, is very important. Um, you know, a, a good body, a nice slim fit body or, you know, curves in the right places. I mean, for me, it's not you don't have to be a stick figure, but you have to be well proportioned. Um, but then also especially energy and um, confidence. I mean, that goes so far, you know, and experience too. Um, working with an experienced model is just so great working with an inexperienced model which is fine I do that all the time um, it's just a lot more work yeah there's and, a lot more skill involved than people realize I think oh absolutely I mean how to pose your body how to show off your best assets and hide your flaws because everybody's got something they don't like you know um, so yeah I mean but confidence is, is a big yeah. thing because if you have confidence it's that really comes across on camera. Yeah. You can be the most beautiful girl in the world and if you don't believe it then that shows. But if you're sort of maybe kind of average looking but you have this like sexy self-confidence that really comes through on camera and you kind of morph into this different woman. I mean, I've had girls who've shown up to set and I just look at them and I'm like I don't know about this one. And then the minute they're in front of the camera and they have all their makeup on and everything, they like transform into somebody else and they're incredible. Wow. So, you know, you just never know. I love the communication with the photographer. Like, I never did, uh, very, well, I guess there's some sensual modeling and all modeling, but mm -hmm. the modeling I did, the thing that I loved most about it that surprised me so much because I felt like I was really insecure mm -hmm. when I started, but when the camera was on, I, I felt like you get this like dance almost. Yes. There's this connection and this almost intuitive movements and sort of even when I was modeling in Paris with photographers who spoke no English, I yes. spoke no French. There's this language. Yes. It's a really beautiful thing. Yeah, my mom used to always call it a dance. And and that's the thing that comes from an experienced model. They know what they're doing. They know how to move. And, um, yeah, I've shot girls whose language I didn't speak and they didn't speak English. And we've gotten amazing shoots because, yeah, you're right. There, There's this language between the photographers and the models, which isn't necessarily a verbal one. Yeah, absolutely. So the confidence thing is so important, I think, for the many people who do want to take photos of themselves or have, it, have photos taken. Mm -hmm. And I think we can all do things to feel more confident, you know. Um, what are some of the ways that you would recommend if somebody wants to do their own shoot, they have, like, vetted the photographer, all that stuff, and they just want to make sure that they are at their most confident? Well, I would say, obviously, you know, try to eat healthy and, and exercise before. I shot a model recently who, you know, decided to, like, she was PMSing, and um, so she was bloated anyways, and then she decided to, like, gorge on a hamburger the night before. And so she showed up to set the next day kind of bloated with a bit of a gut, and she was just, like, so self-conscious about it all day. And she was like, oh, 
shouldn't have eaten that hamburger last night. And I'm like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have. Especially from the emotional standpoint. Yeah. Because if you're going around feeling like, oh, I'm so bloated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it shows. Yeah. It's going it's to come across in your confidence. So um, also think about wardrobe too. You know, if there's certain things about your body that you don't like, one can always dress those up. If you don't like your stomach, you can wear like a waist cincher or a corset, maybe a cupless one, you know, so like your boobs can come out if you love your boobs but you hate your stomach, you know, and then you can show off the things that you love if um maybe you're self-conscious about your your legs um maybe you've got like spider veins or something maybe consider wearing stockings you know um there's there's different things that you can do to you know hide the things that you aren't comfortable with and a lot of that can can be solved with wardrobe that's so true and i think it's such an important point that has so much to do with how you feel about yourself because if you even if the photographer's like I love your belly. Mm-hmm. If you feel uncomfortable, that's not going to make for a good shoot. Right, exactly. Um, another thing I would say is, too, is be honest about your sizes. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. <laughs> so many girls lie to me about their sizes. Or maybe, like, they put on weight and they, like, haven't remeasured themselves. Or maybe they don't even know their sizes and they just kind of guess. And so what I show up with doesn't fit them. That's not that's not good. And it's just like, look, I'm on your side. I'm here to make you look as beautiful as possible. If you don't tell me the truth about your size, then I can't dress you properly. Like, we're going to have a problem. You're not going to look good in something that's too small for you. Let's oh, put it man. that way. I remember, I think agents sometimes do the line too. Yeah. And then you start not knowing your measurements because I had comp cards that showed me at, I'm about 5'8". Mm-hmm. And I had one that said 5'10 on it. And I felt so weird about that. Yeah. I asked my agent about it. He said, don't worry, you 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 have a tall look or something. And I was like, I'd rather they just think I'm a tall 5'8". Yeah. <laughs> that makes me feel like I have to walk in wearing stilettos yeah. or something or, you know, or maybe they're marketing you with a certain size. Yeah. But you have to have the clothing that fits you if you're if it's a closed shoot and you say yeah. you're a two and you're a six. I had one girl who totally lied about her size. She was a celebrity, quote unquote, for a terrible reality TV show that I've never watched. (laughs) Um, But I I shot her and uh, she said that she was like a zero. And thank God we got photos of her. And I sent them to my stylist. My stylist was like, she is not a zero. She is like an eight or a ten. And so she brought all this wardrobe and she cut the tags out so the girl didn't know what size they really were. So she thought she was putting on. Oh, my god! I mean, but that was the trick that she had to play. And fortunately, my stylist had worked with a lot of celebrities. So she'd been she'd had this issue before and she knew that trick to like. But I mean, can you imagine? It's just like really. I mean, I don't know if they're, like, worried that people are going to go out and say, oh, my God, she's a size 8. But you know what? Instead of people saying, oh, my God, she's a size 8, people are going to say, oh, my God, she's a size 8, but she told me she was a size 0, so nothing fit her. Yeah, exactly, because really, you look so much better no matter what your size when the clothes fit you. Right. And if you're wearing really tight clothes, you're going to look larger. And if you wear really loose clothes, you'll still look larger, actually. I've shot girls who are a 10 and an 8 or a 10 and because, just because of their curves and they're like stunning you know and just absolutely gorgeous and they look amazing um, and I've shot girls who are 0 who it's like Ugh. so you know what I mean your size doesn't necessarily yeah. portray you know 
your body and, and what it looks like and what it'll look And it's different like. in like every brand, which is yes. ridiculous. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I go into Forever 21 and I'm like a 12. I go into J. Crew and I'm like a 6. Yeah. Ugh. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. We're so numbers crazed. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a bit because we have our featured toy of the month. This month is a vibrator that I really, really, really liked. Uh, it is called the La Wand. It's from The Pleasure Chest. You can find it at thepleasurechest.com or go to my website and click on the Pleasure Chest link. It has these really luxurious, rumbly sensations, and it has 20 vibration patterns. It has a flexible neck and a reusable textured cover element, so you can change how the outside feels to you, which is amazing. And what I really love about it is it looks like a microphone, which I kind of have a fetish for. So it just looks perfect to me. It's like very elegant, very lovely. And it's one of those kind of higher end. It's soft silicone, so it's body safe and all of that. I just think it's a really, really great one. Do you have a favorite sex toy? You know, um, I actually don't use sex toys very often, uh, particularly vibrators, because I have kind of a wicked imagination and I'm always worried about desensitizing myself. Uh, um, but I, I do have some great vibrators that I use for shoots and I'm always really impressed by how they just keep evolving and, and they really like, I mean, they're beautiful, you know, they they're are. almost like works of art sometimes. So for me, um, the sex toys generally that I have are usually like fetish and restraint and bondage. Mm, got it. <laughs> Specifics. Got it. I have a couple of gags and I have some restraints and um, I have some pretty butt plugs. Mm, oh, they have like the tail one. Yes. Like the, yeah, I have a bunny really rabbit tail one. <laughs> I love it. That's great for the imagination to yes. have these like props. I used to not like vibrators at all, kind of for the same reason. Mm-hmm. And so I, I generally prefer dildos because I feel like I get to move my body more mm-hmm. and, and use my imagination. Although I have started to like vibrators more uh, for the vi- for the variety and you know yeah. to try different things and yeah. and it's amazing to me what they can do like the the new bells and whistles that come the challenge for me sometimes is the instructions you get this like packet yeah. you have to charge it for like a certain amount of time and then sometimes I'm just like I don't really want to read instructions I just want to yeah. you know play yeah. with it but there is actually this amazing now that you just reminded me there is this amazing new sex toy that um, I got sent to me for a shoot and then I ended up using it myself and I swear to God, these people are actually not paying me to um, promote them, but they fucking should. Um, <laughs> it's called the Perfect Fit, and it's a strap-on, right? So we actually got it for a girl-girl strap-on scene, and strap-ons are like notoriously uncomfortable and difficult scenes to shoot because a lot of times they don't secure properly around your waist because it's like leather belting, and it just like it doesn't sit at the right parts of you, and if it's not secure to your body, then it kind of the dildo flaps around a little bit and it can be uncomfortable and difficult to get in the other girl and and to use properly and and sometimes if the um the dildo is too hard it's incredibly uncomfortable and (laughs) a lot of times girls don't like to wear strap-ons because they feel like it makes them look fat i'm not kidding are you serious (laughs) i'm totally serious there's a couple of girls that i've shot who won't wear one because they're like it makes me look fat oh my goodness because it like cuts into them in the wrong way oh because of the squeeze yes I was like but it's just kind of like looks like you have an extension I yes get it. Okay. yeah 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 so anyway so this one has like a um, almost jock strap kind of technology in the front and it's got that stretchy rubber band type and it's got different areas that you can um, button it so that it is more secure to you and 
the dildo itself is really soft and and like really just I mean I've used it with a on a couple of scenes and the girls have just raved about it and then it also beneath it it has a hole right so if your guy wants to wear it he can stick his penis and his balls through that hole and then he has two penises so I used it with my boyfriend and we used it for double penetration <gasps> which I've never oh. done before because I've never been with two guys yeah and so I was able to experience double penetration with my boyfriend and it was amazing that is so cool it was really cool what is the brand again it's called the perfect fit and um yeah i had they sent me a couple of uh free copies i keep forgetting to reach out to them again because i've actually mentioned it a couple of times you really should have them sponsored <laughs> and, and i'm yeah. thinking because like, i'm like buying should, one right now so. yeah they should like <laughs> seriously send me some or sponsor me because i really do like love it i really do think it's a great toy and so i would highly recommend it and i've given it to people as gifts and they've <laughs> That's awesome. It's pretty cool. Very generous gift, too. Uh, So I've been enjoying your podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. It's very unfiltered. You go into all, (laughs) like the first episode that I heard, I loved, and the the guest name is August, which I've only met one other woman named August, by the way. It's not that common. And uh, I love that you explore so much. Like you're laughing and goofing around, and you talked about like Coke and poop and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you got into depression and like, really heavy stuff. Yeah. So it's all over the place. And I wondered, I thought maybe I'll just mention some of your guests since it's a newer show at this point. I'm guessing these are pretty fresh in your memory. And just maybe Mm -hmm. you could share one thing that really stood out to you. Yeah. So first, August Ames. Well, August, obviously, um, first of all, she's just super goofy and has this really adorable snort when she laughs, which I just think makes her amazing. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, she talked about depression and sexual abuse that she'd... um, you know, suffered when she was younger. And I just thought she was incredibly brave to talk about that because a lot of girls don't want to talk about it. And I think especially porn stars don't want to talk about it because they're afraid of the stigma that that lays on them because, you know, you will obviously get people who will hear that and go, see, you know, this all porn stars are like that and porn preys on the vulnerable and the weak. And of course, they've had sex, you know, abuse in the past. And and so, you know, I, I feel like she... She wasn't afraid to be stigmatized or pigeonholed like that. And I was really impressed by that because the truth is, is that a lot of women have suffered sexual abuse, you know, no who matter aren't what their in industry. Porn. Yeah. I mean, it's just everyone. It's epidemic. It's crazy. It's so prevalent. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough that I've never had that. Um, but, you know, so many girls have suffered it. And, you know, it's just something that people are afraid to talk about and ashamed to talk about. And so, you know, I felt she was really brave to to bring that up. Yeah. Shows huge strength, I think. Yes. Absolutely. What about Bailey Rain? Oh, Bailey. She's awesome. Well, she's a friend of mine. We're actually going to Hamilton next week. I'm very Ooh, excited. Um, but she was, she was great. You know, we talked about the whole Hot Girls Wanted controversy um, because she was also in one of the episodes. And, you know, we have similar feelings about it and about the producers. And, you know, there's just uh, I feel like there's been a lot of unfair, negative um you know, feedback about the about it on social media. So we kind of address that. So I think that was probably a big pivotal uh, part of our conversation. Awesome. What about Mike Kassar? Oh, Mike Quasar. Quasar. <laughs> I love Mike. He is so funny. So Mike Quasar was actually just featured in, um, I don't know if you're familiar with John Ronson. He's an uh, author. He wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats. He's um, uh, the Psychopath's uh, Handbook or the Psychopath? Oh, the Psychopath Test? Next Door? 
No, it's like the psychopath handbook or something. Anyways, um, which is a study of psychopaths. Um, he's a really fascinating, interesting guy, really, really smart. And so he just released on Audible uh, The Butterfly Effect. And it's actually about how free porn has affected the adult industry and not just the adult industry, but the butterfly effect that it's had on society and and all these far reaches that this these branches of its effects have have reached to and it, it's crazy and it's it's a really fascinating book it's three hours long um audible book and mike quasar was one of the guys that he profiled and whose sets he was on for about a year and um obviously mike quasar if you follow him on social media is always complaining about how porn is free and how difficult it is to do his job and produce quality uh, quality product and how like everything's just kind of the same and everything's by analytics and by numbers and there seems to be no more artistry in the industry anymore and everything's this i mean we're just regurgitating the same shit all the time oh i'm fucked my stepmother and then we got caught and then you know and interracial teenage orgy cuckolds and just like it's just like yeah so um you know we talk a lot about about that basically about how free porn has really affected our industry because we've both been in the industry for about 20 years we've seen the changes yeah and but he's also too just so funny so it was a really enjoyable podcast to do what was it like interviewing your parents obviously you know them intimately deeply for your whole life Mm -hmm. what was that experience like it was great I mean you know I I kind of knew that that would be the best interview because um, my parents have such a fascinating story I mean especially compared to me they they lived such an interesting life and you know they were in the adult industry during like it's quote unquote golden age you know like the whole boogie nights era when um, you know before like the STDs hit and really kind of changed everything especially HIV. And, um, you know, back when it was, you know, very glamorous and there was a lot of money in it and there was a lot of time put into production, but it was still like a very taboo thing. It's a lot less taboo these days than it used to be. And actually it was illegal when they used to make movies. So the Vice Squad would like be going through our trash and like they couldn't release like their location until like the night before. A kid? Not when I was a kid, because they didn't really share that kind of stuff with me as a, as a child. I mean, I knew that they, I knew what they did, and I knew it was for grownups only. Um, but I didn't really know all you felt, of those. They probably wanted you specifics. to feel really safe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's not really appropriate to discuss with your, you know, ten year old daughter about how the cops are after you. You know what I mean for shooting yeah. porn. Yeah. So, um, but I just and I knew all the stories that they had to tell. So it was very easy to lead them down those lines and get them to, you know, relate those stories. But it's funny because every time I talk to my parents about their history, I learn something new about them because mm-hmm. there's just so much to their lives. There's always something thing that surprises me so even though you know they're my parents and we've talked about this you know their pet history and you know their careers so many times there's always something new that I learned so it's always like a learning experience for me what was one thing that surprised you let's see um during this interview I think I think what well I learned that my dad found out about the whole Tracy Lord scandal by reading the newspaper. It was in um, like the LA Times, and that really surprised me that that's how he found out. And it's funny because you kind of forget, you know, this was back before the internet and before social media. Like, if that occurred today, you would have found out within 
30 minutes because it would have been all over Twitter or, yeah. you know, all over Facebook or all over the news or whatever. And and for him, it was like a slow, you know, he didn't find out until he read the paper. And thank God he read the paper every morning and found out that he'd, ac- you know, my parents had accidentally shot this underage girl and had thousands and thousands of pictures and like movies on her. And, and you know, they had to go and burn everything. Wow. Like right away. It was crazy. And Do you I, remember that? Yes, because I was very young. I was probably like seven or eight, and they were terrified that they were going to get they were going to go to jail, because essentially what they had done was child pornography. Obviously, they didn't know she falsified her identity, but that but people were not so um, strict about IDs back then. Uh. The whole Tracy Lord scandal actually created the reason why we're so diligent about getting two forms of ID every time we shoot someone and having people fill out a twenty two fifty seven and age verification and all of these things because nobody actually wants to shoot child porn intentionally. I mean, you know, we as professionals don't. We really don't want that. So we're very diligent about that. But back in the day, because it had never really happened before, if somebody was like, I'm 18, you're like, okay, she's 18. So they didn't know. Um, And so they sat me down and they were like, you know, because it was just me and my little brother who was, I don't know, three at the time. And my nanny, who didn't speak English. And so they were terrified that they were going to get dragged out of the house, you know, at, at 5 a.m. and hauled off to jail. Because that's normally if the cops are going to arrest you at home, that's when they're going to come because they're going to know you're home. And so they were like, okay, mommy and daddy, the cops might come and take mommy and daddy to jail. So here's some phone numbers you need to call. And don't be scared. And you're a big girl. And we know you can handle this. And, you know, I remember sitting there thinking, like, why would my parents go to jail? You know, my parents were great parents. I had a wonderful childhood. And and they seemed to me to be really good, responsible people. So why would why would they go to jail? Were you scared? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was terrifying. I would see that being somewhat formative, just the – and yeah. make you have to grow up faster in that period. Yeah. 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 And then I also learned – actually, I didn't learn this on the podcast, but I was uh, talking to them again about everything the other day because of some other project that I'm working on. But I found out that, you know, when the whole HIV outbreak came out, when, like, really, like, AIDS just became, like, a thing, you know, back in the 80s. And it it was so new and nobody really knew about it. And um, even doctors at the time were calling it the gay cancer, you know, because they thought, like, only, like – you know, um, homosexuals were getting it. But then when like heterosexuals started getting it and, you know, your everyday, your average everyday quote unquote person, um, my parents were shooting movies at the time. And so they decided of their own more, you know, following their own moral compass that they had to test people for HIV before they cast them in the next movie, which nobody was doing, but they just felt like it was their moral responsibility. So they had a blood truck come to the house because their office was the guest house behind the house. So they had a blood truck come to the house and so people would come audition for this movie and they'd have to go into the blood truck and get their blood drawn and get tested for HIV before my parents would cast them in the movie. And that was actually the reason that my mom decided to stop shooting adult movies because she was like, you know what? This has just gotten too sordid. It's gotten too dangerous. You know, now we've got HIV coming into play. She's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's when she stopped making movies and just stuck with photography. Wow. Wow. That must have been a big void in her life in some ways. You know, I think, um, honestly, she she only did movies because she was being offered a shitload of money to do it. Got it. I mean, she was giving, like, she was given, for her first movie, she was literally given a suitcase of cash. 
<laughs> it's <laughs> like a movie in itself. That, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was like real boogie nights, you know, just handed over the table like, here you go. <sighs> and, um, you know, they were giving her like the last movie, one of the last movies that she did. She was given a budget of $125,000 to do the movie, which was huge for those days. You know, yeah. this is like the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and so, but it was a lot of work because back then, you know how you edited film? You cut it. Mm-hmm. I mean, scissors. you literally <laughs> cut it with scissors and you hung it Whoa. in the developing room. I mean, you didn't put it into Final Cut Pro and do 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 hit some buttons and edited it. I mean, you had to cut the film. So it was a lot more work. My mom used to compare it to going to war. That's what she said it was like. So <laughs> wow. I think um, she was a little bit relieved because photography yeah. really was her first love and her, her main gig. So yeah, I think if she it was, was more of a money job versus a passion, that's exactly. totally different. Exactly. Yeah, they must be really proud of you. Yeah, I think they are. They say they are. So I hope so. That's beautiful. What do you most hope people take away from your work, your images, your podcast? Um, well, I mean, I think from my work, I hope that people, you know, can learn to just appreciate, you know, the female body and, and see that, you know, porn and, and adult work can be glamorous and it can be beautiful and it can be um, female friendly and it can be empowering for women. Um, and then, you know, for my podcast, I, I guess kind of the same thing and just get to know these people behind the scenes and get to know these girls as people and not just as, you know, objects and sexual, you know, uh, you know, um, sexual objects, I guess. Yeah, sexual objects. And they, they are real people with real thoughts and feelings and personalities and that kind of thing. Because I think it's easy, you know, again, to go online and to slut shame girls and bash them when you're just looking at their sexy selfies on Instagram. You're not seeing them as real people with thoughts and feelings. But, you know, when you hear their story and hear them talk about, you know, their their struggles and their passions and their childhood and you know, their everyday, day-to-day life, you see them as, as real people. And, you know, we all are just real people trying to make our way in the world. And some of us have just chosen an unusual profession, but that doesn't mean that we don't reser- deserve respect and, and love and, you know, just kindness. Absolutely. So important. So remind folks where they can find the show and, and see more of your work if they're interested. So you can find my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered, on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and, you know, pretty much anywhere that you get your podcasts. And you can find uh, my work at hollyrandall.com or on my social media accounts. On Instagram, I'm at hollyrandall. On Twitter, I'm at hollyrandall. And that's Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L-L. Sometimes people try to spell it with an E. I don't know why. (laughs) There's no E in Randall. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I really admire your work. Thank you. And if you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes if you haven't and leave us a simple review while you're there. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.